Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and. This is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be a trope dissection. I think it's been a while since we last did a trope dissection, but today's topic of the trope is going to be really exciting because it happens to be. One of my favorite tropes as a hormonal teenager, and so remains one of my favorite tropes today. So, the trope we are going to be dissecting are bad boys. So, what are bad boy characters? I think this is kind of a redundant rhetorical question, since I'm going to guess most people listening are have some semblance of idea of what goes behind a bad boy trope, but. For the sake of knowledge, if nothing else, I'm going to describe it really quickly. Bad boy character tropes tend to be reserved for, to no one's surprise, boys. But specifically, they are a type of title that is tagged for troubled youths. So bad boys tend to be teenagers, and they are usually very aloof, very mysterious to a particular female protagonist. And they're kind of created in a way to be the sort of like female gaze, the the troubled guy who is distant that no one can really understand, but you seem to sense something different about them, and you feel like that you can reach to them in a way that no one else can. So that is the bad boy trope, and certainly anime has had its very very fair share. Of characters who would easily file under that particular stereotype, or not stereotype, but character trope. However, this is a trope dissection episode, which means that we are obviously going to talk about examples of when the trope has been utilized well and when the trope hasn't been utilized well. And I will jump start us off today. So, my first pick for a bad character trope that were who, who I don't think. Quite utilizes the bad boy trope as well as it could have comes from a anime that has a lot of fan girls, <laughs> and I know this is a very popular character, so I think people are going to be kind of upset with me about it. But I don't think Akuta、uh, Akutagawa from Bungo Stray Dogs is a good example of a bad boy trope, even though he is very much that character trope. So that、mm-hmm. is. I'm gonna lead with that. So I know you two know about that character. So do you guys agree with my just blanket statement before I go into why, or do you guys disagree with me? I would say I kind of see it.、Um, knowing his past,、uh, you know, with Dazai and everything. But yeah, I never really thought of him as a bad boy. I just kind of saw him as that other character, maybe、uh, that you know rivals our main character, and. Yeah, I just feel like his character could have been a bad boy, but he doesn't have that kind of aloofness. He feels more edgy to me, to be honest, a little yep, bit. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yep. Like the kid who visits、mm-hmm. Hot Topic a little bit too much and wants to be the emo teenager. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> clearly, doesn't have the tragic backstory to augment with that. So you guys don't even think that he fits the trope is basically what you guys are saying. <laughs> More or less, yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting.、Mm-hmm. Because I almost felt like he was purposefully done that sort of like bad boy character trope in the fact that、uh, Atsushi is a very good boy. <laughs> you know, he's、True. obedient and <laughs> he wants the best for people, and he's like kind and caring. He's not brash at all. Because I would say that is something with bad boys is aside from just being aloof, they're also very like abrasive in the way they talk and the way they treat people. 
And I think specifically, I think the weird thing about Akutagawa is when you get to know him more, he's obviously not like aloof at all. In fact, he's pretty aggressive and he likes to pick fights. But that actually does kind of, now that I'm thinking about saying out loud, that does package into the bad boy trope a lot because they tend to be troublemakers and they get into fights with people. But they appear, they give off this illusion of mysteriousness because they seem like they're so closed off and no one can reach into them. But Basically, I just don't think Akutagawa as a character really works because, and, you know, I have a feeling that there's going to be absolutely going to be people who disagree with me, but I just kind of find his character really bland is the thing. Like, yeah, he checks off all those marks of being like edgy and like rebellious and it seems like he's, you know, he kind of goes against, you know, a lot of rules and he wants to operate things on his own. And then when he is by himself and he has like that secret soft side, you know, with his sister that no one else knows about, which is a huge element to the bad boy trope that like he has all the marks. But I think it's just like his overall like place in the story can feel so shallow to me sometimes. Like I genuinely don't really get like why he's really there aside to set up as like a foil to Atsushi, who's the quote unquote good boy, the hero, the, you know, character who's kind and cares about everyone. I'll bet a little loopy at times. And so it's just like, I just felt like he's very shallow and bland and there isn't anything else going on with him. And is it just me in regards to like, just my overall madness about Akutagawa? I feel like he, I, for me, I think he was a decently good character. Uh, I, I, I do see how you can see him as bland, kind of, you know, his, he doesn't really have a personality in a sense, but then I think that's because he, you know, he was loyal to Dazai, and then, so he, I feel like he's kind of like that teenage boy who's kind of lost, he wants to be someone, but he doesn't really know because he's been following someone for so long, and then he kind of loses that, so he doesn't know where he wants to be, and so that's why he's kind of like, you know, being very brash and very, very pretty much obsessed with trying to get Dazai's um, approval, but he doesn't get it. So he pretty much is still lashing out in other ways, you know, getting mad at Atsushi and everything. So I feel like he's, it's, his character is in transition, which is why I think you might find that bland because it doesn't seem like he has his own type of, um, you know, personality, I would say. But yeah, that's yeah. Just mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think that is the big problem is I feel like even after two full seasons, he hasn't really changed yet. Like he hasn't developed. Mm-hmm. He's still where I first met him in the first season. I'll bet like a little more dorky because we've seen more sides of him. But that's basically it. He hasn't really come to grasp as to like who he is as a person but or I mean you already said it best is that he's still in transition and I think my frustration with him is that he's already been in transition for two whole seasons and I'm like you should not be in transition anymore Mm -hmm. there should be more going on so (laughs) that's how so that's basically how I feel about Akutagawa and I feel like the I, I guess in that case what I have most issues with is the pacing because when you do put it that way, it does make sense as to why he lashes out and why he um, he's so edgy and sort of angsty because of because of Dazai leaving and someone who he sees as his mentor slash potentially even a father figure. So I so it's like I do sympathize and understand that part, but yeah, I think his like his lack of change since like since then has just made him just sort of repeat lines and 
I feel like the same yeah. person versus mm -hmm. a lot of the other characters who have changed or even in Dazai's case where he doesn't really change, you get a better understanding of the complexity behind the character and like how he ended up where he is. And then Akutago is just sort of like still there at the same level that I found him in originally. So yeah, I think I think you got it for me, Isabel. That is definitely why like I struggle with him because I'm like, he needs to change more. He needs to have that development more. And I just didn't see it quite yet. And Agnes, uh, what did you think about him as a character as well? Because you didn't you didn't really mention him aside from the fact that you feel like he just goes to, uh, you know, hot topic too much. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of vitrolic things to say about wow. Uko Stray Dogs because wow. it was a show that I had highly anticipated. But then I realized that the production values, while good, the story directing and pacing is absolutely terrible, which is probably why a lot of us feel very disconnected with Akutagawa and we feel like he doesn't change. And actually for the ma the vast majority of the cast as well. Um, so in terms of Akutagawa, I do agree with Isabel that it's like a weird pacing of him that he doesn't really grow up and change and the transition falters. But I would argue to say that that extends to all of the characters. So mm. you actually don't see them flesh out beyond what they have. It might be drastically different from, let's say, the manga or the light novel where yeah. most of the anime material comes from, especially um, all the side OVAs and stuff. But other than that, I I would not rank Akutagawa as... And on any margins as the the bad angsty boy if anything he's more like the the violent punk mm, that's an interesting but one. that's yeah. that's literally it there's no there's nothing that i feel remorseful about octagawa for unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> i mean we've already been we've already been slapped so many times in the face with uh the main character's entire tragic backstory of being indoctrinated and being cursed for using his ability and whatnot. Boo-hoo, sad story. What does Octagawa have to offer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I've become kind of desensitized from it overall. I see, I see. Well, in that case, I am going to transition to a uh, to another character that I absolutely adore. And uh, this is like probably, or he does have a huge fandom in regards to his character, also his story. But I do think Ash Links from Banana Fish is an excellent example of a bad mm, boy yes mm -hmm. i definitely yes okay great so <laughs> so ash links has a lot of this i actually think that ash links will has a lot of the quote-unquote similarities to the initial sort of qualities that akadagawa has they're both really aloof to certain members of their group they find them really cold and really you know just sort of distant and on top of that, they both come from very hard backgrounds and have a hard edge where they are more than happy to get violent to get there. Obviously, Akutagawa uses his powers and Ash is most famously using his gun with an excellent shot. And so, and then they, uh, well, I guess this is where the difference is because Banana Fish kind of follows a more, um, I would maybe, is it though? I'm like, changing my mind as we talk but it is a romantic storyline the fact that he meets the good boy who is very sweet and very kind and caring and you know does not come from that traumatizing background but notices something more about him that is different than other people and how they see him and he connects with them you know it is that romantic storyline that tends to follow only instead this time of a girl it's actually a guy which you know doesn't matter in that case because a romance storyline will work regardless 
Um, but I think where Ash is just so excellent in regards to his, you know, character trope as a bad boy and, um, and you know, pacing, um, as we've noted that Bungo Stray Dogs struggle with, and his pacing as well as his development is how it's revealed as to why he is this way. Because a lot of times the bad boys, they sometimes, they get a sob story, but it's sort of like, brush underneath the rug like oh it's sad and that's why they're sad and angsty no one understands them and that's all there is to it but in ash's case the writing does a really good job of how of not brushing his trauma under the rug to explain his angsty behavior but actually show that it is very much trauma manifesting in personality so hard and deeply that it would require years and years and years and maybe like, you know, never ending therapy to finally help him through that. And so, and I really like that. And it sounds weird for me to say like, oh, I like it's showing of PTSD because obviously PTSD is a terrible thing that many, many, that there are people who have to struggle through, but it is accurate in that sense because it makes sense as to why he's always rebelling against, you know, certain figures that, you know, tell him what to do. It makes sense why he keeps that distance from people because of what's happened. And not only is it just like, no one understands me, it's more like it's just safer that way. It's sort of the self-preservation thing that he has developed throughout his life. And you also see how his trauma constantly comes up again and affects the way that he reacts. Every time he feels like his life is getting better, his life is happier, and there's a chance that he has a future outside of the hand that he's dealt with, his trauma reels its ugly head, rears its ugly head, and it makes him doubt everything again. And the distance isn't even so much as him, I wouldn't even say it's so much as him being angsty, but it's just like him internally struggling through very hard stuff that people actually go through. And so there's, so there's the side of how he became a bad boy. And then, of course, there's the actual development that happens during the whole thing where he does meet other people that very much, you know, want the best for him and want to help him and adults, not just not just his love interest, but other adults as well. Like, I love I love the reporter who used to be his brother's friend. And so and so like by the end, it's not even like he loses his edge per se. He's still quick to draw the gun. He's still very resourceful in all those things. But he's lighter in that sense. Like he feels emotionally, emotionally lighter, mentally lighter, and he feels happier. And in a way, he still has all the qualities of a bad boy still at the end, just in a much healthier manner. And so that's why I think Ash Links is just an incredible example of a bad boy trope that very much fluttered many people's hearts and understandably fluttered many women's hearts, uh, but did a really good job of incorporating it into the story and making it into the core of the character and putting it into the pacing of his development, per se. So... That is my thought of a good example of a bad boy. It sounds like the two of you agree with me, correct? <laughs> yep, same here. I agree wholeheartedly. So I guess out of curiosity then, you guys do think that he is a bad boy character trope, right? Or is it? are you guys in sort of the same boat as Akutagawa where you guys think I sort of missed the mark in regards to labeling him? 
I think he's like the reformed bad boy trope because he does gradually change and is not steep into that one particular trope for too long, which makes it satisfying, I think, for in, unintentionally, which is the funny part, because viewers will be instantly attracted to the bad boy type, but there's an immense satisfaction of seeing the bad boy either heal himself or reform himself kind of way. Mm-hmm, yes. And so I think that's what makes Ash's situation even more appealing is that he has reformed just a little bit. There are old habits that still kick the bucket. And of course, because he is suffering through PTSD, that is not going to heal anytime soon or even for a long time. But it's gratifying for the viewers to see that he has attempted to move on. Yes, perfect. You put the cherry on top. That was perfect, Agnes. <laughs> Alrighty then. So those are my two uh, dissections of the particular trope. Isabel, I'm going to hand the baton to you now. What is an example of a bad boy trope that, you know, you don't think did a good job, which is one that you think did do a good job? And also, you know, let me know, do you even like the bad boy trope? Yeah, that's a good question. You, The bad boy trope, I feel like, has changed over the years and you know, some characters might be bad boys and then maybe they're not. And then, or they're just a different type of character, right? Or they embody some of the traits and they don't embody all of the traits. So it's, uh, I would say like, it's harder to find in more recent ones because I feel like they're more, you know, the characters have more of a backstory and they're not repeating this type of, um, you know, characters, or maybe that'll be pushed onto like a side character or something. Um, but one I think did a pretty bad job is uh yamada from yamada kun and the seven witches um, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree with that <laughs> i read the manga so but yeah okay keep going no yeah maybe you can talk more on the manga because i've only seen the anime version and i know there's only one season so i know it definitely goes on longer than that but i think yamada is a terrible example because he has the basics of a bad boy quality or like they're just thrown into him as a character so he's just characterized as kind of like the school's um, being a delinquent at the school. He misses classes. He gets into fights. He has, has he basically has this rebellious nature about him. But that's pretty much all he has. <laughs> There's no part of him that kind of like swoons the ladies or things like that. And even when he gets uh, kissed, um, he's not the per person to do it first. He's kind of taken aback by the fact that uh, Shiraishi has the courage to just kiss him first and kind of kind of just do it without even thinking about it just like oh this is business let's just kiss and uh, we'll exchange powers and stuff like that she's totally fine with it um in a sense i feel like shirai is more of like the bad bad boy character in the game <laughs> taking moves let's go yeah um but yeah yamada gets flustered too so to me, like, even though he's labeled as the bad boy and he can, you know, he can kick people's butts. I think the running trope in the series is that whenever he gets into someone else's body, he he, want, he wants to feel strong. Um, and then when someone is in his body, uh, they're like, wow, he has muscles, right? Um, but that's, like, that's all he, he has, really. And then he's approached by all these people and trying to figure out the mystery behind the seven witches at the school. So in a sense, I also feel like the plot kind of distracts from him and I feel I don't know if this is discussed in the manga, but like his backstory, I don't really remember that too much. No, nope, neither do I. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I read most of the manga. I don't think I read the entirety of the conclusion, but I read most of it. Yeah, I don't remember any of the backstory myself. Oh, man. That's bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you see, like, there's no tragic backstory. Yamada is just like how he is and who he is. So you kind of have to take him at face value and move forward with it. 
I think what's insane mm-hmm. for me is I didn't even know that he's a bad boy. I didn't watch the anime is why, but mm-hmm. just based on the posters and stuff, I would have never guessed that he was that character trope at all. <laughs> I actually also don't remember that because the mangaka's previous work is literally titled like Yankee-kun to Megane-chan. So it's like a Yankee meets like a bespeckled girl, which is actually a very interesting oh. story and feeds more mm-hmm. into the delinquent story. But I felt like Yamada and the Seven Witches is more like, let's do some high school shenanigans, Herder. <laughs> That's <Ooh>. about it. <laughs> he is assumedly supposed to be the bad boy based on the descriptors given in the anime and in the manga. But it turns out that there's nothing that really goes off of that other than the descriptor of like, oh, he's kind of a delinquent and that's it. He's oh. more of like a school dis- delinquent that maybe breaks a couple school rules, but he's not going to go out and like publicly smoke or like do graffiti on the walls and stuff like that. I see. Okay. Does he is. Okay. Just based on what you guys have said, is he interesting in any shape or form? No. It's more of the comedy that gets yeah. to people when they're reading it. Yan- Yankee to Megan Nichan is a lot more endearing in diving into the relationship and the personalities of the two mains from the Mangaka's original story. But Yamada and the Seven Witches, everyone's personality is like, okay. Shiraishi's the only one that's pretty bold enough to make a lot of these moves, even though she's the quiet type. But the main story, as Isabel says, is more focused on unraveling the mystery of their ability to swap bodies and have these mystical powers through an exchange of a kiss. Yeah. Yeah, the, the redeeming quality for Yamada is the fact that he can copy the witch's powers, that's all. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about <laughs> right, yeah. I, the, the, I don't know if the story was interesting. I think the first half was pretty good. But then the second half kind of derailed my interest for some reason. <laughs> I see. Okay, and how did you feel about the anime as a whole, Isabel, now that you're saying <laughs> so? Because I actually know it... When it was airing, it had quite a bit of buzz, is why. I just didn't watch it, was also. Yeah, I, f- I feel like for a show that has a lot of gender bending, I found it interesting at the time when I watched it. I think gender bending like that with that many characters, because he has to go and find these characters, made it worth watching. And just finding out what the special powers between you know each character is, I think that made it attractive for me. So really, kind of all the characters together. If we focus on one character, like Agnes said, yeah, they don't really have too many, you know, too many redeeming qualities. So, yeah, I don't know what happens after that. I think for a season, what what it was presented as a season was good enough as it is. I think you would enjoy watching it for sure. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, I can't say for a second season if it continues or you know if anything interesting happens. It really depends. But that's my thoughts on it, really. <laughs> Got it, got it, interesting. Okay, well, in that case, if Yamada is an utter failure of the bad boy trope, what do you have uh, for an example of a good one? Yeah, a good one, also kind of a unique one, I would say, um, is Nicholas Brown from Gangsta. I don't know if you either Ooh, do that. Yeah. <gasps> oh, yes. okay, okay, okay. I, I think... My boy. Okay, go on. <laughs> yeah, he definitely, I feel like, embodies... Um, almost all the bad boy trope things where you know he's aloof and silent although quite literally silent because he is deaf so the only way for him to communicate with others is either signing or kind of lip reading which is what he does throughout most of the series and uh, he barely talks um, even then or even signs that much and and you know that just I guess based off his appearance because he's kind of 
uh, you know, rough looking kind of, he wears, you know, dog tags because he's a Twilight character. And he's labeled as basically a type of mercenary that works uh, with Warwick, who kind of his partner in crime. He, before, I think he was kind of his, um, I forget, but someone he followed and he was, um, Nicholas was assigned to him. So he kind of, he's very loyal to Warwick and I really like seeing their relationship together because they grew up together. And Nicholas really, he, he has that side of him where he's soft to others, but it's very, very, like, the moments where you see that are very small. Most of the times, you actually would see him kind of smiling while he's killing people and taking out his sword and stuff like that. So, and that's all thanks to his superhuman abilities that he's gained from the drug that he takes. Um, but yeah, he embodies all that all the things that a bad boy does, and then even more so because he's able to kind of embody that and move forward with it. Um, I don't know, what what do you guys think about him? Like, I feel like in, for appearance-wise, he definitely does uh, look like one, and not to mm-hmm. mention the fact that, you know, they all are in gangs and stuff like that and are fighting almost every day for their lives. You want to take this one, Agnes? I <laughs> 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 can hear my parent enthusiasm. Oh. Uh, I think it fits the role very well. Um, he reflects a lot of Ash's qualities, I think, based on comparing the two scenes. And plus, like Nick, Nico has Nick has a lot of very soft qualities about him because he evidently cares for Nina, who's one of the young girls of the Doctor mm-hmm. in town. Um, he also, although he doesn't like her at the beginning, he really cares about our main girl too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, I mean, he's the, he's the one that helped basically get rid of her pimp. But also, like, when she's in times of distress or when she's, like, trying to do her best to help out Benaria, he reluctantly helps her out too, which is kind of sweet of him. Um, but overall, yeah, he definitely fits the bad boy trope. I think what you were saying about like the soft, quiet moments is that his, you know, moments are very subtle, you know, his moments of caring, but yeah. they still shine through and they come out and they're really, really sweet. And I am shocked that all three of us have seen Gangsta and we never talked about it. <laughs> That's like the bigger thing that's getting to me right now. So, <laughs> um, But I'm glad we're talking about it now because I really enjoyed that anime when I watched it for the first time. So out of curiosity, Isabel, is it just like his personality that you really like? You know, aside from the looks, there's the whole subtle moments. There's the fact that he is deaf. I, I think he's deaf, right? Or is he? Yeah, yeah he he's deaf. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So the fact that he's deaf, so a disabled main character, very, very rare in anime, let's be honest here. And and not to mention disabled and an absolute badass in the way he fights. Um, is it just how his character is written that appeals to you as a bad boy? Or is there anything in particular that it relates to the story that has also stood out to you? Yeah, I definitely like how his character is written. Uh, if you watch more of the series and go into the arcs where he you have that backstory between him and Warwick. You find out that, you know, he was kind of abused by his father and kind of growing up from that. So he kind of had to grow up really, really tough, right? And also how it's written as well, because um, in the story with the tags and stuff, I think there's levels. So Nicholas is a B level, right? So he's not an A level or even S level. So and the only way he can get to that A level is basically taking too much of the drug. So he, I think I was inspired by the fact that he really takes on, he really kind of just goes full ham on everything. 
if he really needs to get the fight done. So he like just takes as much drugs as he can and he basically overdoses on it just so that he can become more powerful and reach that A level to actually fight the enemies or gangsters that he needs to. So just kind of that kind of made me interested in his character and and basically label him as a bad boy because he takes that big of a risk and it's kind of scary, but he does it in a way that uh, is attractive, I would say, because he's, yeah, he's just Ooh. so confident about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was not going to go that far, but okay. <laughs> Isabel outed herself today. I so Isabel. Cool. I wish I could do that. <laughs> Isabel likes his Cheshire cat grin, you know, that he has oh <laughs> when he gets excited. Oh, you're right. I <laughs> I, I'm going to take a screenshot just for that. <laughs> so just for the thing. It's it's the one scene where I think he's trying to tempt Barry into killing him. And then this second scene, I think it's when he's dropping, when he's showing his dog tags off of Doug. He has that same like Cheshire, uh-huh. uh, Cheshire cat smirk yeah. on his face. Does he even know he has that smirk, or is it just how he smiles? Regardless, this is how he smiles. He's extraordinarily awkward in oh. his interactions with Warwick oh. and Benedetto. Mm-hmm. Oh, that just makes it cuter for me. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we pulled. I'll, I'll send. I'll send you some screenshots of the manga, Gracie. He's he's pretty cute in the manga. Oh man, you know I actually used to follow the manga, and then I heard the mangaka had some health issues, and so it went on hiatus, and then I just sort of lost track after that. Curious. Yeah, she's she's always had a very bad case of going on hiatus, probably as bad as uh, the author for Degrayman and Hunter x Hunter. So I'm not surprised. Which part did you leave off on on the manga? Oh gosh, I don't remember. It was like these other Twilight characters, I think, or they were hunting Twilight characters. I, I genuinely don't remember. It's been so long, but okay, it's still. I, I just looked at it. It's still ongoing. Oh wow, yeah, it, yeah. There's only been eight volumes. Wow, yeah. Um, that- yeah, it's very difficult for her. She also managed to write some side stories that augment this, uh, the main story, mm-hmm. specifically for some of the side characters who were involved in the war uh, prior to the main storyline. But that was the most that she could do with the help of her assistants. Mm-hmm. So she's still recovering. And I feel like during COVID especially, it's even harder for her to keep going. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, anyway, uh, we, I'm glad that we all watched Gangsta and agreed that, you know, it was really great and I liked, and I really liked Alex too, who was the girl because I, I know there are some, this is kind of a funny tie into our first trope dissection, but I know some people complained about how she's a damsel in distress per se, but I'm like in the situation, the story is placed in it kind of makes sense so i feel I mean, like she was doped the entire time exactly by the time she got to the main story yeah. like she is very damselly in distress at the like the first half because she's like how do i get by in this town but also like considering the context of the manga she's actually a foreigner in the city oh she yes yeah. mm-hmm. she was doped by barry because she wanted to go find her brother who had enlisted himself, and now we know like the enemy forces in the current plot of the manga, but she still didn't know where to look for him. And so she willingly let herself be doped into prostitution by Barry, and then that, she's just basically a broken husk until the Benria found her. Right, exactly. It's just, yeah, I know some people complained and felt like, I guess the main complaint was they were saying how it uses like victimhood for women for the main girl character again, but my... But based on watching the anime later reading the manga, like she's grown like so much that I feel like I feel like it's fine. But 
Anyway, we're, we're getting I mean, she, she, she saw a man, I think in the, the smaller shorts of the manga, she saw a man that was about to abuse a child and she whacked him upside the head. Nice. Oh. Okay, well. Yeah, I remember that scene very clear. And I was just like, go, Alex. But of course, like, Nick had to save her anyway at the end. But you know, <laughs> she had balls at least. She didn't have a gun on her. Yeah. I did also really like the relationship all three had. Like, it's just overall the chemistry of the characters is great. But okay, enough about gay <laughs> <laughs> What have you done, Isabel? So, Sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, since that is Isabel's pick, Agnes, you are the last person left. You know, uh, let us know how do you feel about the trope first? Like, do you like it? Do you not like it? And then give us a bad example and then give us a good example. When I was younger, I also really liked this kind of trope. You know, it feeds into the female fantasy mm-hmm. and, you know, you want to get close to the male shonen character that is so angsty but you feel like you want to heal him. Now I find it extraordinarily irritating. Really? Okay. <laughs> I find that I, I find that generally as a, a weakness in a character that can't pull themselves up from their bootstraps. So that's why I don't really find that's why I don't really like characters like Octagawa even though there's an enormous fan base for him or some of the more angsty characters that don't really matter too much for me anymore. Like, you want um, them to move past their angst, I guess, is what you're trying yeah, to say? Yeah, because when I'm reading a story, I want to see them attempt to make things right, even if they fail or succeed. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I'm here for the story, and the angsty character, I just kind of supplements to it and adds drama. But if you're just going to keep mulling over it and nothing changes, I'm going to get bored. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So with that being said, though, I'm really curious what your good example is, but let's start with your bad example. What's your bad example? Okay. <laughs> um, I think, so before we started, I want to preface that before we started this podcast, I had a lot of different options just because I didn't know what exactly we wanted for a bad boy trope dissection. Because um, I thought to myself like, oh, I could do maybe this kind of character. But then I realized like, oh, it doesn't really fit. And then we started spouting the definition for it. I was like, oh, crap. I need to reevaluate my entire oh, list. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of like bad boy would just be like somebody who embodies a more gangster kind of a Yakuza or Yankee role. I mean, that sense. is a bad boy. We just talked about Nico. It is, but, I felt, uh, but I felt like, at, but I guess like at that time when I was like, doing my research, I felt like I was in the dumps. I didn't really figure it out. But then I, during the course of the podcast and doing some research on the side, I think I've managed to nail two. And the first one that I want to say is something that I now see as a bad representation of a bad boy, but back then I thought was decent writing, I think is um, the protagonist from Shield Hero. Oh. Oh, no. oh yeah. I, okay, okay, continue. <laughs> Now for me, when I first read the manga years ago, when you know when this was first getting released, I was like, "Oh my gosh, he's such a bad, he's such a bad boy." You know, he's so broody, he's so angsty. You know, there's only one girl that basically loves him, and you know, he goes through a lot of crap because he's the supposed shield hero, and he doesn't boast the same qualities as a lot of other people, and he was taken advantage of by the country's princess. And so as a result, I was like, oh, man, I feel bad for this guy, but I hope he finds happiness in, like, the two girls that help him out on his journey. And then now as an adult, as I look at through all this discourse and I rewatch the anime, a couple scenes, and I'm just like, eh, I don't feel anything anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That just sums it up. I don't know why exactly I feel that way. Maybe it's just because there's a lot of pessimism that goes around with the discourse in the community that influenced me to feel this way. So there is a bit of a bias. But overall, I don't find it particularly inspiring to follow Naofumi's journey. That makes sense. 
I have my thoughts about it, but I don't want to say I think it we, yet. So. I mean, we already covered we already covered it in the anime controversies episode before. Yes, about Shield Heroes. So I don't. I think it goes without with fair warning that we've talked about this quite extensively. But just honing on to Naofumi's story as a bad boy character, he doesn't evolve anywhere past like oh I only care for Raftalia and for Fido and maybe that one girl Miracle I think question mark I don't remember her name very well Mary but that it was an M yeah some M name yeah but then that was where I left off in the manga and it felt weird because he wasn't I guess making any efforts to change or figure out a way to change with the people that he was with and I guess, like, viewers could say, like, oh, but it's because all people hate him. I'm like, there's literally three characters that don't hate him right now. He could find more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he was quite praised in the story, too. Like, yeah, like, I don't I don't disagree that the light novel painted him probably in a much better light. But the anime overall has soured a lot of people, mm-hmm. personally. What did you think of him, Isabella? Yeah, I didn't get too deep into Shield Hero, so I can't say, but... From what I've seen, yeah, I felt like Naofumi was a character that wouldn't change too much. It just seemed mm-hmm. like his ex- intense hatred for everything that happened in the beginning and carrying it on for several episodes. I can see how Agnes, you know, like you said, you don't like seeing a character who doesn't do anything to change or kind of just, um, you know, doesn't doesn't think that they can do anything about it and they don't try to. I feel like Naofumi is a perfect example of that. Maybe that's the reason why, yeah, you were, you're pretty much upset with him or don't uh, find him as a good um, example of that bad boy trope and moving forward from that. So I feel like, I feel like it's mostly the same. And then I feel like maybe his thoughts are kind of more internal. I think he, he does want to do right good in the world that he is isekai'd into, but he doesn't really find, maybe he can't find the reason to do so. Yeah, I mean, considering the fact that everyone basically turned on him, he loses that purpose in life, so therefore that's why he's angsty and requires all this tragic backstory. I think for me, the biggest issue is, like, and I feel weird saying it's the marketing per se, but the way that when Shield Hero came out, everyone was like, oh, like, this isn't just any, you know, angsty bad boy. This is the ultimate, like, subversion bad boy, as in he's an actual bad person and he doesn't care about people and he's just here for himself and he's like the penal penal uh, i can't even speak but like the ultimate sort of selfishness because of like something bad that's happened to him but then when i watch the anime i'm like no he's still a good person just pretending like he doesn't care (laughs) which is like the usual trope all over again and, and it's like, and you're right, Isabel, nothing about that really changes. And so in a way, I'm just like, I don't know what people are saying about him. That's so unique. But people adore him, not just girls either, because she he is quite popular with the girls. But the guys love him as well as that sort of like bad boy that they still think is a subversion but i don't personally think is a subversion at all so yeah (laughs) i think the only reason why they see it as a subversion is because naofumi is i guess the quote-unquote one of the few anti-heroes that are featured as main characters in light novels that early on Hmm. and so that's why or at least like a lot of the light novel community is 
mostly men reading these light novels and for a character like Naofumi to show up in the light novels in the manga scene they're like oh my gosh this is so different when the reality is is that there's a lot of type of characters like him in other forms of media as well you could even say like guts from berserk is potentially a bad boy too oh 100 percent. i would even Mm -hmm. agree with that yeah and that's right and that's (laughs) like one of and and that is a good one that is like among it's 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 a fantastic marvel berserk is a marvel to read and to experience with your own eyes uh unfortunately the mangaka passed away but it is but guts still holds the herald of like one of like the biggest like trope i guess subversions of like the bad boy Mm -hmm. because he tries to move on as desperately as he can even though he's basically entrenched in hell now fumi seems very kind of minuscule in comparison (laughs) i think the biggest issue even with the whole argument of like oh he's the anti-hero protagonist is that the other people around him don't really act heroic you know like you you you're an anti-hero only if there are clearly other characters around you that are more heroic and doing things that are righteous and morally good like like the superman you know like like there has to be other characters like that but now Fumi literally is the best person in the story so he doesn't even really come off as an anti-hero because of that because i'm like there is no hero he is the best to a hero so i I, so that's why i also don't agree with that argument but you did mention guts and i do have to ask since i know you picked two so i i guess kind of skipping ahead was that your pick for like the good bad boy did you have another one no i had i had a different one um and this is actually really interesting considering that i had called and i guess this harkens back to their conversation earlier about gangster how alex could be seen as like the wife in the in the fridge box Mm -hmm. in the frozen box Mm -hmm. um i want to mention kiritsugu from fate zero as the bad boy archetype that is done very well, and at the end he fails. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Okay. Uh, Isabel, did you watch Fate Zero? I'm not sure if you did or not. I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I'll just he, I'll just explain just briefly looked, for a I looked season. him up, and he definitely looks like a bad boy. He looks the bad boy. Like, do you see like the way that they designed him? How ex- expressionless his eyes are. They're like. Absurdly cloudy. Yes. He looks depressed. He looks very depressed. So anyway, um, for Gracie's story, uh, for Gracie's reference, Fate Zero takes place, I think, 10 to 11 years prior to the Fate Stay Night main scenario and explains a lot of the events that happen in Fate Stay Night and why they happen the way that it does. In, uh, In Fate Zero, there is the Fourth Holy Grail War and Kiritsugu is among the few mages who are participating in the war, and the war proceeds as it is. Kiritsugu is a magus hunter, like he goes around killing mages and stuff like that too. He's like a contractor. And he ends up being in the contract of a very wealthy family called the Einsburn family, which is incidentally one of the founders of the Holy Grail War, and is tasked to pair up with his wife Iriasville in uh, Fate Zero in order to win the war. For the Einsburn, they see that the way to win the war and to claim the the golden the uh the Holy Grail, which is a magical vessel that manifests at the end of the war, is to use Iriasville as a conduit. She is basically like a homunculus. She's not a real human being. And so as a result, Kirisuku is like, okay, well this is just a contract. I'm just gonna go out there, go through the war, make sure my 
this homunculus here does her duty and then the contract will be done. And then, but then eventually he falls in love with her throughout the war, is very protective of her and his assets and wants to save her. But at the end of the day, he is unable to save her. And then there's even more further backstory with Kiritsugu that I think warrants for a lot of this like need for heroic saving of the world is that when he was much younger, his father was also a magus or a mage, but he was a researcher. And he had researched on trying to, I think, extend longevity to people, indigenous people that were living on the island that he was. But he had uh, he had accidentally or maybe intentionally cursed them into becoming zombies, the essential forms of zombies that have like, quote unquote, eternal life. And Kirisugu was forever scarred by that incident. And he was raised by somebody who had taken him up in her arms to be like a magus killer at that point. So he has a lot of really angsty backstory and he tries to good do good by realizing that at the end of the day there are still people he cares about like Iris View even though this was a duty or a contract he was supposed to go through. But despite all of his efforts, despite all of his knowledge and his skills, he failed to achieve what he wanted and he has to continue to move on through life, which is reflected now in the Fate Stay Night uh series which comes afterwards. I see. And isn't didn't isn't his wife the one of the character type you hate? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I had to I had to like I, when I was doing the research, I had to change my angle. I'm like, okay, because I was trying to like Google research responses. Some of them were not like fitting in. I'm like, what 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 fits better? And I was thinking to myself, oh, I know what fits better: bad angsty boy with the supportive girl on his side. And I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I have more hit results now. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot more hit results now. And so after that, I was like, oh, this makes a lot more sense of why some bad boy tropes do very well because that feeds into the whole idea of like, does the female protagonist, uh, side character, even you as the audience sympathize for them or do you not sympathize for them kind of deal. And that groups back to our whole beginning of this conversation as well. I see. So you think his is just a lot more effective in regards to for the characters to root and sympathize with this character or I guess even empathize with him, correct? Yeah, I, I would definitely empathize with him. I wish Yuri's view had more agency with the way that she was written in the, in the light novel series, but it is what it is. I, <laughs> I still stand my case that she's kind of a, a woman in the fridge box just because of the way that they wrote her and they shafted her into this particular position. Out of curiosity, does that kind of soil Kiritsugu as a character or no? Uh, potentially, if you take out Idia's uh, view from the context of the situation. But Kiritsugu's desire to save the world is echoed in his childhood prior to meeting Idia's view as well because he realized like the, the, the value of saving lives. There's one scene where... As a mag, as a as a contract killer, as a mag, a magus magus contract killer, he encounters a, an airplane. Isabel probably remembers the scene very clearly. His mentor is on an airplane in which they are trying to intercept a magus like serial killer, sort of. And the magus serial killer has let loose a suitcase that is full of swarming insects that infects the population and drives them mad. And in that airplane, his mentor tells him, you have two choices to make. Either you can try to save me, and when this airplane goes down and hits the ground, it will infect millions and millions of people. 
or will you kill me and this passenger ship, uh, aircraft and save the world kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And so he was forced to choose to kill his mentor on the plane while simultaneously trying to lie to himself and say like he has done a particular good in saving the world. Mm. He's become a hero of justice. He takes up the hero of justice mantle by taking up guns and other forms of assassination in hopes that he can make the world a better place. Okay. I, I see how that would... Okay, yeah. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, because I was really curious because it's like, in a way, his bad boyness couldn't really exist without that other character, without, like, the his wife, like, his dead wife. And I know you didn't like how his dead wife was written, so I was just like, yeah, does it sort of dampen it? But I can see how the story still includes other elements that feeds into how he is that character trope that isn't dependent on a character trope that you don't like. So, yeah. What did you think about Kiritsugu is about? And I'm curious because you were also someone who watched the anime. Yeah, Kiritsugu is a really hard character to like because he, you know, he has basically a really good goal about him, but the way that he needs to achieve it involves killing other people and, you know, making tough decisions. So I just found his, it's not only him, but kind of like the situation he's put in. Uh, the fact that he has to choose between one thing or the other and as a character you kind of want you really want to root for him but yeah in a space where everything where basically everyone is a killer and like how can you root for this type of person and you know just trying to figure out you know where who's good and who's actually bad right and why they do that so i think kisugu is really good in terms of trying to open that, up that discussion where or at least kind of viewing more deeply into the characters and seeing the reason why they're doing this. So you can label that as more noble than the others or people who are just doing bad for no reason um, and trying to figure out what, what the heck they want and don't know, but they're just you know in it for fun or something like that. Right. I always compare yeah. him to Kotomine, which I think is kind of like the opposite of him and also kind of like a dark, darker vibe, I would say. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Kotomine is more of like very typical aristocracy. Oh, for Gracie's reference. Uh, no, actually, no, that's not Kotomine. I'm confusing it with Tosaka. Uh, Kotomine is a, a priest that is involved in the war, for Gracie's reference. But instead of being like a man of God, he's kind of like empty. He's kind of soulless and he doesn't find joy in anything until he ends up contracting himself with the art, with the servant Gilgamesh, who kind of shows him the finer qualities of light life and inadvertently unlock the bit of a psychopath in Kotomine. Oh, that's that's um a good thing, I suppose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's just my two cents on the the bad boy. And now that I think about it, because we talked about because Isabel's top choice is Nico and Gracie's top choice is Ash, all of our bad boys have been pretty traumatized by some pretty uh, graphically violent event. <laughs> yeah, actually, to some extent. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you guys about that. So that was just the thing I thought, because, you know, we also mentioned Guts, who is also very Oh yeah, Guts, absolutely. <laughs> so on that note, is it a problem that bad boy that this bad boy trope exists and the only good examples that we found are those with profoundly very like disturbing backgrounds that leads to extreme trauma like is that a bad thing 
What do you mean as a bad thing? As the way that media perpetuates it? or Yeah, like, is it wrong? In a way, is it almost like, is it wrong for... Especially since, uh, as I mentioned before, the bad boy trope was largely created for the female gaze. Of course, that has changed throughout the years, but, like, you cannot even deny it, even in something like Banana Fish, where it is the, the, the love story is a gay couple, that there's... It's girls, you know, who really, really love Ash. And so... So it's just like, is it bad that this trope was created for the female gaze? And in regards to the female gaze, it's like there's this sort of enticement about a really traumatized guy. <laughs> you know, like that's just something that I've been thinking about while we were talking. <laughs> I mean, if it prints money, it prints money. <laughs> True. That's just my only rebuttal. But I do agree that the bad boy trope or at least early on in anime has been not very favorable because it puts female in the position of they want to help the bad boy without really understanding and empathizing with their situation ah, because mm. all in their mind they just think like I just want to fix them mm. and that's for them to notice me kind of thing which is a very basal instinct and it's very crude now that I put it that way but it is it is what it is kind of well, I will continue to internally argue with my morals about this. So. Alrighty. Um, I think that is all we have for the trope dissection. Before we ask Agnes to continue her crazy adventure with that amazing cliffhanger, I do want to note for everyone listening that we will not have an episode released next week for the main reason that all of us will be helping out with the Anime Trending Awards. And for people who are fans, please, 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 um, you know, uh, watch the live stream. We are really, really excited to reveal who you guys have voted to be the winners. It's it's always a really exciting time and a busy time for all of us. And we've put in a lot of effort and a lot of energy into making this live stream award as best as we could. So it is taking place on February 26th. If you are on the if you are in the Western Hemisphere and the 27th, if you are in the Eastern Hemisphere and for people in the Western Hemisphere, the uh, official live stream starts at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. So if you guys would like to use a, uh, a converter online to figure out what that is in your time zone, that would be great. But I just wanted to put a spotlight on that before we continue. So, all right. Now, Agnes, what has happened when that mysterious jewel literally flew out of a museum and, like, onto your bracelet? Like, what are you going to do? Like, I, I, I think you're going to get arrested is the thing. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I kind of stare at this bracelet in utter shock and it's silent for the first three, like, seconds. And then everyone around me starts to scream and panic because when has anybody seen a levitating jewel that breaks through glass and attaches onto you it seems like it's some kind of cursed object at that point right right <laughs> um there's, so there's a lot of stampeding out of the showcase room there's a lot of people pointing accusa accusatory fingers at me but i'm absolutely bewildered with what's going on i was just here to see an exhibition on queen isabella the she-wolf of france and as expected security guards come flanking out of the adjacent rooms of the showcase and they are trying to make moves to arrest me but there's something a little bit particular in the guards as i see them as i'm trying to like dodge out of the way of them lunging at me of them trying to use batons to hold me down is that they they kind of have this weird gaze in their eyes as if i've uncovered something that is important to them as if there's something that i have done that transcends beyond 
what human capability is like. They're not looking at me like I am a thief. They're looking at me for something completely different. And they are also, strangely enough, because, you know, I do martial arts on the side, and so I was able to kick some butt. They are also very, very large compared to an average Frenchman in in Paris or of any person of origin, really. And somehow one of them managed to grapple me, grabs me by the wrist, uh, stares at my bracelet and snarls. And the snarl sounds very animalistic. It doesn't sound human. And I'm like, this is weird behavior from a security guard. I try to fight him off, you know, thrash my way out of the crowd. But they manage to pin me down and they throw a hood over my head. And then they start touting me off somewhere. Um, and I'm kicking and screaming at this point. I don't know where they're taking me, but it's pretty traumatic, I would say, now that I recall on it. And I remember being on that uh, on the back of somebody who had thrown me over their shoulder, that they feel kind of furry, question mark. And as I'm tossed, I, and some time passes, and then I'm eventually tossed onto the floor unceremoniously onto a cold marble floor. And eventually the hood or whatever that was thrown over my head is pulled off. And I see a beautiful woman sitting very poised on essentially what is a plastic chair but she looks regal like she's going to sit on a throne but it's the modern century i would suppose and she's sitting on a, a plastic chair and she's poised calm and definitely feels like top energy but she has this weirdly monstrous energy around her like she's about to go berserk and either kill me if i say something wrong and step or step on me and that is where i'll end my story because that's a cliffhanger. That's what makes things interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like James would appreciate this woman, you know. So. Oh, okay. We're, <laughs> he's been exposed too many times at this point. I pity the man. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to us. I hope you enjoyed the trope dissection. As a reminder, please, please, please watch our anime trendy wars. We are just so excited to, you know, for you guys to see what we have prepared for you all. And, you know, we shall wait to hear the next part of Agnes's uh, disaster, <laughs> disaster away from the U.S. So I hope you will be with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.